I want to uh, thank our, our children to start with. So, um, on Friday afternoons and Sunday afternoons, children um, and teenagers gather at the property to learn the things that we're doing in worship and to engage them on, the, in their, own, on their own level so that when they're present in worship, they can engage in a deeper way and actually help us engage too. So you might have noticed this morning some of the children walked up in our procession and they took down a banner that said Alleluia on the front of it and they put it in this box here. And um, they know something that many of us as adults don't know. So in, we find ways of marking the seasons of the year. And in this instance with Lent, Alleluia, I'm not supposed to say that, okay? So sorry, but... It's a celebratory word. It's one of our most precious words in the church. It means praise to God for His salvation, for His salvation in our lives. And in the season of Lent, we bury that word for the season so that it's even more powerful when we say it during the Easter season as we celebrate Christ's resurrection victory over death and over sin to save us and to redeem us as His people. And so they have buried the Alleluia for us. They'll actually take it and in catechesis, I believe, either today or Friday, Renee? The next time they meet, meet, excuse me, which those meeting dates are in the worship guide. They'll bury that on the property. And then they'll bring it out for us again on Easter Sunday so that we can celebrate and use that word with a lot of enthusiasm. All right. So there are two main things that I want to share with you this morning from our passages. One, that Jesus is our champion in temptation. He's our champion. And two, that Jesus is our example in temptation. He's our champion and he's our example. We're going to talk first about him being our champion. So first of all, I want to make a really careful nuance that we need to try to wrap our heads around as best we can. Our first verse in the gospel said that the Spirit, after Jesus has just been baptized, the Father has just spoken over him this word, this is my beloved Son. And he is immediately led by the Holy Spirit in the desert where he will be tempted by Satan. There's something we need to make very careful that we distinguish. Who is tempting Jesus? not the Spirit of God, Satan. We're told in other places very clearly, God does not tempt with evil. He does not tempt anyone. What God does is he tests his people. And here's what the Old Testament tells us. He tests us to know what is in our hearts. And any time that the scriptures tell us that God is seeking to know something, it's this kind of tricky thing because we know that God knows everything. And so in one sense, it is also saying so that we may know what is in our hearts. God tests us so that what is in us might be exposed and so that he might strengthen us. It's not because God wants us to fail. It's not. It's because God wants to prepare us for greater battles against temptation and against the world. And so what's happening here with Jesus is that Jesus is being tested to see what is in him. 
And the same thing is going to happen to all of us in our lives. It happens every day. We are tested to see what is in us. So Jesus, again, is our, is our champion. The New Testament letter of Hebrews says that Jesus was tested like other humans in every possible way, yet without sin. I think there are a couple of temptations when it comes to temptation. You get that? There are a couple of temptations when it comes to temptation. First, there's a temptation to overemphasize the uniqueness of all our temptations. Look, one of the issues of living in the world as it is today is we all need to feel really, 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 really special. And I don't mean that in a mean way. We are very special. But there's this sense in which we almost need to feel as if what we feel has never been felt by anyone else ever in the world. And the problem with that is that we begin to feel all alone, as if we're the only person in the world who knows what it feels like to face struggles and challenges. And so what, one thing I want to say to you is, we are all very special and unique, yet the temptations we face have been faced by people throughout history and are faced by people today. And so Jesus, he himself faced the same testings and temptations that people faced before him, that people have faced today, and that people have faced since. And Jesus never surrendered. He never surrendered to temptation. The other temptation, when it comes to temptation, is to overcomplicate it. Here's what I mean. I tend to, in my experience, I overcomplicate my temptations because I want to give in to them. This is what I do. When I'm able to look in hindsight at temptations I've experienced, I realize that there are times when I've overcomplicated them because what I really want to do is give in to them. So I think about the reasons I need to buy something while also thinking about not having enough money to give away. Have you ever done that? Something like that? I think about the reasons I need to tell someone something that's really none of their business about someone else, even though they really don't need to know. I, I think this often, the, the classic one is, has to do with sex. Um, there's this thing that we can say when we're almost married, but not married. Well, we're almost married, right? And do you know what al almost married means? Not married. <laughs> but it's so easy, isn't it? We, but we overcomplicate it. We play these games in our minds to make temptation more complicated than it is. So I'm going to speak in really simplistic, you may see it as simplistic ways, but I, but I think it's true. Here are the temptations that we face. It's on three levels. We face the temptation whether to trust God's provision, God's goodness, and whether to trust Him alone. Whether to trust God's provision God's goodness, and whether to trust Him alone. These are the temptations Jesus faces. 
Jesus is tested by the devil whether he will trust God's provision in his life, whether he will trust God's goodness to him, and whether he will trust him alone. Now, Jesus' testings happen to follow the same sequence as Israel's testings in the wilderness. This is amazing. You can map Jesus' temptations by the devil onto Israel's testings in the wilderness. Same order and same sequence. Israel's first test was whether they would trust God's provision for them. So remember, they are miraculously delivered through the Red Sea. And as soon as they hit land on the other side, they become fearful that they have no food or water. And then the water that they have is bitter, and so they complain, and the Lord gives them sweet water. They grumbled about their lack of bread, we're told, and they wished they were in Egypt, and then the Lord rained bread from heaven. At every turn, they suffer anxiety over whether they can trust in God's provision for them. And their fear leads them to this grumbling and complaining against their leaders, which is actually a grumbling and complaining against God. So this is their first test, whether to trust God's provision. Their second test is whether to trust God's goodness to them. So they repeatedly see God provide for them. But the next time they don't have water, they ask this question, Is Yahweh among us or not? And this time, they cross a line. And this is, I think this is really important. They're no longer wrestling with doubts. It's not a matter of, man, I have these questions about God. I'm struggling to to see Him in my life right now. It's not that. They're actually refusing to trust. And I have to confess to you that I wrestle whether I, with whether I cross this line sometimes. So Israel, what they do is they intend to hold out on faith until God proves himself. God, I'm not going to trust you until you do something again. Even though God has proved himself time and time again. And that's why they cross a line. Because they've seen God act. They've seen God do these amazing things, but they still decide, I won't trust you unless you act. They hold out on God. And look, sometimes we may ask God to show himself to us. It's it's fair to ask God to give us the direction in life, to confirm his presence among us in particular situations we're in. That's fine. The question is, what do we do when God has already given us direction? When he's already confirmed his presence with us? Sometimes I think we keep asking when what we're really doing is avoiding. Avoiding the step of faith that we already know God wants us to take. When he's already confirmed that he's with us, And he's going to be good to us. You see, what Israel is doing is they're refusing to trust in God's goodness. Now, the third test that Israel faced was whether to trust in God alone as God. You see, God told Israel, and we heard this in the Ten Commandments this morning, 
You shall have no other gods but me. It's exclusive. I'm the only God you can have. And you shall make no image or likeness of me. But still, Israel refused to trust God alone. Do you remember? They build a golden calf. A God that they can see, that they can put their hands on, and that they control, can control. You see, this is the trouble with a God that you can't see. You can't touch him and you can't control him. And so Israel pursues a God that they can touch and see and a God they can control. These are the same tests that Jesus encounters. Whether to trust in God's provision and His goodness and whether to trust in Him alone as God. And Jesus succeeds in every one of these temptations. He trusts God for His bread, His provision, right? He refuses to test God and whether God is going to be good to him because he trusts in God's goodness to him. So that's the moment when Satan's saying, throw yourself down. God said he's going to save you. And Jesus is saying, I don't have to throw myself down to trust that God is going to save me. He's trusting God's goodness in that moment. And the third thing is Jesus does not succumb to idolatry. He trusts in God alone as God. So Jesus, in this moment, he is becoming Israel as Israel should have been. Jesus is reversing the sins of the first Israel. Jesus is the true man. He is revealing himself as the true human being, reversing the sins of the first one. He is our champion, and he is doing what we could not do. Remember, testing exposes what's inside of us. Jesus reveals himself to be the true human being. He will not succumb to sin and temptation. But here's the really great news about this, even better news than that. There's more to it than just resisting. You see, what Jesus resists from Satan, he receives from God and better. This is incredible. You see, Jesus, Satan tested Jesus by offering him authority and power over the world if Jesus would just fall down and worship him. Do you know what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 28 after Jesus has risen from the dead? It's actually Matthew recording Jesus' words. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus eventually receives what he resisted, but he receives it without falling down in false worship. He receives it through faithfulness, endurance, and suffering. And in this, Jesus is our champion of a patient endurance. He's saying, you don't have to receive what you want in the wrong way. I will give it to you, and I will give it to you better in the right way. Jesus is our champion in the battle against temptation. He has done what no human could do, and he's done it on our behalf, for us. He overcame temptation so that we can overcome temptation because we face it every day of our lives. The question of whether we are going to trust God's provision for us, his goodness toward us, and in God alone. We all face this temptation from moment to moment, 
walking out the door, this, this hits us. Are we going to trust God? Are we? And if we join ourselves to Jesus and receive the power of His Spirit, He enables us to resist temptation, to be faithful like Him. So Jesus is our champion, and He's also our example. He's teaching us how to trust. Now, what is the example that Jesus gives us that we can follow? Like, if we're looking at this story and trying to figure out how we resist temptation in our own lives, what is the trick? What's, what is it we're to do? Well, remember I was saying that we can overcomplicate things about temptation. It's actually pretty simple. Satan changes his tactics with each temptation to Jesus. Satan realizes the first one doesn't work, the first tactic, so he changes tactics. That doesn't work, so he tries again. Satan's changing it up. But Jesus never changes his tactic of resistance. Each time he responds as the Son of God that he is and as the Word of God that he is. Each response from Jesus begins with these words, it has been written. Every time Satan challenges him and tempts him, Jesus responds with, it has been written. Now, I didn't take grammar very seriously growing up. I have to confess that to you. I wasn't great at it, and I still need help. Um, but when I took Greek courses in seminary, I learned something about something called the perfect tense. Who's getting excited? Anybody? Yeah? All right, there we go. Here's what the perfect tense means. It's something that was true in the past, and it is still true. It was true in the past, and it is still true. When Jesus says, it has been written, it means it was true then, and it is still true today. This is how he's responding to Satan. What was written then, it was true then. And it is still true now. Jesus, Son of God, Word of God that He is, lives surrendered to God's Word. He is the most free man who ever lived, but He lives surrendered to God's Word. And at every turn, this is how Jesus fights temptation, by living in the truth of what has been written and is still true. Funny enough, Satan picks up on this after the first temptation, and Satan tries to use God's Word to sway Jesus. I think this is fascinating in a sick way. And you need to be beware, beware of this tactic. I think it's being used, it's been used throughout history and it's being used a lot right now. Satan uses God's word against God's word. This is what he does. This is his MO. Satan's MO is deception. The devil plays psychological warfare. He works with half-truths, spinning them, all the while preserving just enough of the truth to sound convincing. 
Beware. Here is the key difference in the way that Satan uses God's word and the way that Jesus uses God's word. Jesus surrenders to it. This is the key difference. The key difference between the way that the devil, the evil one, will use God's word and the way that Jesus does is that Jesus surrenders to it. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Scripture is always easy to understand, but I will tell you that there are those that Satan would use as tools of confusion and deception in your life. Be wary of anyone who seeks to tell you what Scripture says while not surrendering to it themselves. Please hear me. Beware of anyone who seeks to tell you what Scripture says while not surrendering to it in their own lives. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the evil one. God wants to give you life. Satan wants to bring you down. Notice that Satan, with every temptation, he's challenging Jesus to look down. His directional motive, it's always down. He wants to bring you down to where he is. Don't listen to him. Jesus is our example. He lives in the truth and he fights with truth. And remember, what he resists from Satan, he receives from God, but better. Listen to what one author says about our own lives. We learn of God's liberality with us, his generosity, when after we have proven that we seek to serve him only, he then overwhelms us with the very things we thought we had renounced forever. I want to share that with you again. We learn of God's liberality with us, his generosity, when after we've proven that we seek to serve God alone, he then overwhelms us with the very things we thought we had renounced forever. Are there things that you have resisted from Satan? Things that the world has offered you that you have resisted? Or there are things, are there things that you're struggling to resist? Things the world is offering you and you're fighting with whether you're going to resist it or not. I hope that you would trust that God wants to give things to you better than Satan or the world can ever give them to you. He wants to give you the things that you long for, but he wants to give them to you in a way that is better than the way that the world can give them to you. And this is why we fast during the Lenten season. To learn to hunger for God with our whole body and to seek to learn to receive from him alone. We often just grab at food or whatever it is we want because it's accessible to us. And we forget how to receive from God alone, who gives the best gifts. When we're willing to resist from Satan, we will receive from God. So Jesus is our champion in temptation, and he is also our example in it. 
I want to ask you, are you trusting in God's provision in your life and living in faith of God's provision? And, or are you surrendering to, tr- to trust another way to provide for you? How hard you work, how well your money does in the stock market, are you trusting in your own way of providing for yourself or in God's? Second, are you trusting in God's goodness and in His promise to do good towards you? That His intentions towards you are always good no matter how hard life is. And third, are you trusting in Him alone as God? Or are you surrendering to false gods that you can touch and can, can control? Jesus has become our champion so that we can follow his example and receive better than the world or the evil one can ever offer to us. Amen.